Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Business Insights with Marion Mayton, live 90.5. It is true pleasure to have today Rochelle Jackson, crime broadcaster on ABC Radio, nightlife presenter and producer of The Crime Couch, a weekly podcast. <laughs> Rochelle, welcome to the studio, I mean over the phone, and thank you for finding time to be our guest today on a, a live 90.5. My pleasure, Marion. Thanks very much for... Yeah. Uh, the opportunity to speak to you in your no, own. No, it's, 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 I'm the honored one, and I apologize to listeners. I made a mistake. Rochelle was being scheduled today for the interview, but again, for some reason, must be Mario Beckett, so my old age. So I apologize, but it's a true <laughs> pleasure to talk to Rochelle. Rochelle, we have a common question for all our guests, and uh, it's a very simple one, and it will not be hard for you to answer. So explain to our listeners in your own words, who is Rochelle Jackson? Uh, Thanks, Mario. Look, I'm an investigative journalist. I'm an author. I'm a broadcaster. And as you mentioned in your intro, um, I'm the host and producer of The Crime Couch, which is a weekly true crime podcast. I suppose, look, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, Mario. I grew up in a police family, and my background really is in television and radio journalism. I've published three true crime books, and I've just finished working on a documentary series about critical incidents for a free-to-air series, which will be broadcast next year. And as you mentioned, I also present and produce Crime Spots on ABC Radio's National Nightlife Program with Philip Clark. So I've been producing and reporting on true crime for probably now, you know, several decades. Yes. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I, I love doing it. So... For, for the start, how did you find yourself on the media? Like, you know, we all have that some stories, you know, how do somebody comes on TV because it's a good voice, it's a good, uh, you know, I don't know, research skills, any other type of the skills, but you are investigative journalist. So how did you find yourself in that field of being investigative journalist? Look, I began my media career working in community radio at 17 years old. At 17, I produced and presented a Latin American uh, music program called Blame It on the Bossa Nova. And this was on a a Melbourne-based community radio station called 3CR. And then I moved over and worked with a girlfriend of mine on 3RRR. So it's sort of like Triple J way before then, and Triple R was another Melbourne-based broadcaster, and I presented a program called Flots and the Jetson, and it was just involving a whole range of different things and current affairs, as well as theatre and, and culture. I then moved and got the opportunity. While I was actually studying journalism, I got an opportunity to uh, apply for a cadetship, TV cadetship, up in country Victoria in Bendigo's Southern Cross TV. Nowadays, a lot of journos don't have access to a cadetship, but I secured that and I worked as an on-the-road reporter and I reported on sports and nightly news and it was a bit of a natural fit for me because I had previously been studying journalism and also drama at university, but I found that it was too staid and a little too academic for me. So I loved the immediacy, spontaneity, and you often have to think, Uh, laterally and creatively to get the story so I really enjoyed I suppose the communicating um, what I knew to a wider audience and I learned that I was good at it but I really cut my teeth as an investigative journalist working on a couple of different programs the nightly 
um, Today Tonight program. I started, I was initially working with Jill Singer yes. in Melbourne and she'd been basically snatched from 7.30 report on the ABC. So she was <laughs> initially on Today Tonight. We were actually producing very longer form, very good, cutting-edge you know, current affairs stories. Yes. I worked for Australia Story on the ABC. I worked on a program called New Dimensions, which was with George Negus. I worked on Channel 9's program called Watchdog and also um, New Zealand's 60 Minutes. So I also worked as a journalist uh, with New South Wales Police and Victoria Police. And it's during that time that I learned the importance of, in, of intel, how important it is to have contacts. Um and I learned the trade. I learned how to investigate a story, how to find stories, how to corroborate your information, how to check your sources, and how to get information when you get told you're not going to get it or there is none. So I, I think, you know, today's journalism is very different. And um, journalists often don't know how to find stories and don't know how to work their contacts. And and, you know, you've got to be protective to your sources. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my next question. Because I'm witnessing, I'm not a journalist, I was never was, and I'm running just a community radio show on community radio. But I'm always fascinated the the, the challenges the new type of generation journalists today have, as you mentioned. And then, you know, when you compare to the journalists before, seems to me there's a big gap between no education, but approach to journalism I truly believe that journalists, I was fearful, you know, when I was working government sector, we were always fearing of the journalists, you know, sniffing around. I call the sniffing, right? And, uh, you know, always, you know, asking some questions and like, you know, always being called and in hierarchy, in you know, top brass, you know, what did you tell them? I said nothing, you know what I mean? But today, the journalist looks to me like more um, very soft approach and that it's like, there's no like true investigative no, approach. Right. I mean, it's this is just a my opinion, what, personal opinion, so I don't know. So Yeah, and, and look, that's the sign of a good journalist when you start to smell the fear. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's okay. The journalists, the journalists don't know. Often, the journalists nowadays don't know how to get information. They don't know how to find original stories from sources that you've got to protect. Yes. And today's stories are given to journalists, Mario, via media releases. They get stories from radio bulletins. And they often copy the stories that the other news organisations are already running. The cost of true investigative journalism is too much. It's costly in terms of labour, effort, time. And I've often believed now the potential for litigation is too high. Yes. There's a real brain drain of our best investigative journalists in our newspapers and TV programs. TV management in particular, when I was... Like, and I've just finished working on a television program for a production company... But I look at TV management today, they don't support challenging and controversial stories. They've got to weigh out, well, will this story harm or impact on our advertisers? Yes. And often the ratings won't justify that impact. Um, and you're right, today's news and current affairs stories generally wouldn't get a run. You know, when I, when I was working a lot more in, in cutting edge, you know, TV and, yes. and current affairs... The stories today are softer, they're more general in content, they're usually um, inoffensive and they're a result of a PR campaign often disguised as news. There are very good journalists that are still working in the game, but they're becoming fewer and fewer and it's becoming more and more costly 
for organisations and news organisations to do true investigative journalism. Well, that's very interesting. May I ask you, why is that, as you say, even here now, community radio station, we're getting the news from the uh, from the, some outlets. Why we are relying on the why the media, mainstream media or radio station, relying on that, you know, general approach that um, of the of the getting the news from the one source. Is this is like a cost cost cutting or it's a, some Look, other? It's kind of, uh, welcome to the Murdoch Empire. I mean, <laughs> you, you've got to you've got to look at um, the biggest news. Um, uh, content yes. um, people that are in charge and yes. you know the, it, there's that's also part you know there's a real monopoly of the news outlets and so as a result yeah journalists are getting their information from one or two sources and uh, that's why it's so important to have um, you know people are very critical of the ABC I cut my teeth working on ABC programs and I work with some of the best journos that you could um, yes. you know I, I learned, I learned the importance of intelligence, and I learned the importance of contacts and and the power of the media. Um, mm. And I also learned that you've got to balance your story, and it shouldn't be um, filtered down. You know, yes. so. Um, but that's why Mario. I mean, community radio stations are no different from any other media organisation. They get their sources now from AAP or or, or Murdoch or you know. Um, yes. They're very, it's very limited. I'm curious something else. Um, recently, there was a case, I just asked you as a journalist, somebody on ethical approach. Um, uh, recently, that case in Western Australia with a little girl, she was being kidnapped. And the media, oh, she's yeah. Cleo, yeah. Uh, and the media, she portrayed somebody else as a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep, yep. I mean, I read today the newspaper. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, a rather large uh, litigation case as a result because that Indigenous man who was inaccurately named and 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 shown what was even worse. Of course, television has the worst litigation cases because they show the identity of the person and this person was inaccurately shown and revealed and believed to have been uh, responsible for taking this little girl. So... That individual is now with his lawyer, of course, looking at a very serious uh, class action. Yeah, because my, my question was, in, in, in hindsight, was when, when media runs a story, which is not in your case, because it's like, you know, I must, I must say this, we are belonging into older generation, you and I, uh, it was a difference, more accountability. But today, in a case like that one, when the person's been called um, and, you know, being <laughs> blasted his name, What's the accountability of the journalists who, who produce this? Is, is this something in your times you'll feel guilty or you feel I uh, shouldn't do this or you will step it out publicly? You've always got to check your sources. That, uh, that's the skill set of a journalist. Yeah. And to be frank, if you're working in news, that's the news editors and news directors' decision to run with the story and run with that image. And you've always got to, you've always got to check your sources and then you've got to check them again. It's that simple. You can't afford to make mistakes with people, with identifying people, and disclose, you know, and claiming that this person is, is you know, responsible or yes. tied up, you know, with this case. I mean, that's once again 
some of the difficulties and some of the challenges of today's journalists who actually don't understand the legal principles mm -hmm. involved in stories that they're doing. So, you know, that's generally why you've got court reporters and you've got police reporters because they understand, you know, defamation. They understand libel. They understand laws, the legal laws, and, and what you can and can't publish. Do you believe that we, are, as a journalist, before I start uh, crunching into the, your podcast, um, do you believe that we need a more like education for the journalists right now? Because during the COVID, and you know, like we all witnessed what's happening on TV, and in in hindsight, are coming from different background. Um, I was born in communism, and the journalism there was being tightly controlled by the by the government, and you couldn't complain mm. about nothing, <laughs> literally. But that that being said. Do you believe that uh, today journalists should be more being taught how to search for information or how to protect the source or what, what they should yeah, do? I, yeah, look, I, I mean, to be frank, I don't think anyone should be employed unless they can prove their stripes, unless yeah. they, they understand you shouldn't be working as a journalist in any uh, organisation, whether it be print, you know, television or radio, um, and that's virtually why cadetships were a great idea because that's where you cut your teeth, you know, that's yes. where you learn from older people and more experienced people. Nowadays, a lot of journos come straight out of university and it's a very, it's a, you know, it's a very broad divide that you've yes. got to leap. You know, you're not going to learn how to be a journalist um, uh, by studying and getting a journalism degree. Mm. You've got to cut your teeth. You've got to be out there on the road. You've got to be reporting on emergencies and everyday circumstances. And you've got to be, you know, you've got to understand, um, yeah, the law and you've got to understand the principles of law. Um, and, and you shouldn't you shouldn't be reporting and you shouldn't be um, calling yourself a reporter or a journalist unless you understand those nuances. And they are, they're very varied. And, you know, you've got to keep up with that. You've got to learn your trade, you know. It doesn't matter if you're a hairdresser or a police officer yeah. or if you're a journalist. You've got to learn the rules and, and you've got to understand, you know, particularly the information and um, the legal. If you're involved in in cases, you've got to understand the limitations and your yes. restrictions. Yes. I do remember one of, the one of the classes we did have about journalists. And I remember that lady, she comes to us in the classroom and she says, when journalists approach you, you can answer, no comment, you say nothing, or you agree to story, they're going to write a story. So avoid them. And I'm like, how are we going to avoid them if you don't know who they are, right? So like, it's interesting what you're saying. But Rochelle, you work in two different police, um, how to say, two states in, in police. What was, what was your job there, if I may ask you? And how did you find the working in police force itself? Yeah, look, it was a, it was really fascinating. I mean, yes. I enjoyed it because it was very different, of course, to working as a journalist. But I was still using very similar skills. And New South Wales Police, I was working underneath Commissioner Peter Ryan then, who was from England, and he, out of the Royal Commission, there was a decision made that uh, there'd be a um, encrypted satellite service called Police TV, and this was a weekly bulletin which was produced by the police TV unit, which yes. was established, and it went out to some 18,000 police members. Yes. In fact, it was part of their weekly routine that they had to view this. Yes. And we were... So instead of, for example, police members and officers receiving 
a deluge of emails and a whole lot of information on the computer, they could view this television bulletin, which went for approximately half an hour. Yes. And it was produced... Um, I was actually the... the um, I was the executive producer of that uh, bulletin. So I produced that, and it was encrypted. No one else could get it. You could only get it if you were inside the job. Yes. And uh, it went out to the public servants as well, and that was what I was working with for New South Wales Police. Yes. And then um, I also worked uh, more recently... Yeah, from 2018 to 2020, I worked in Victoria Police in their proactive unit um, as a uh, senior media and communications advisor. So I was uh, basically the media advisor for two regions, which was the Western and Eastern region, and primarily that was most of the state. So it wasn't Metro Melbourne, but it was two large uh, regions, western and eastern region, and in each region there were six divisions. So it gives you an idea of the geography and the the breadth of um, uh, of the area that I had to I had to deal with, and the police members, the many police members that were involved in that. But yeah, look, I I thoroughly enjoyed both roles. You know, you don't see me now because we do an interview over the phone, but I'm continuously smiling, Rochelle, for one one simple reason. I'll tell you why. Mario Beckes on community radio interviewing somebody with such a vast and wealthy, amazing experience in the media, radio, you know, the writing and everything else. And it gives me such a privilege to talk to you, right? You know, because, you know, interviewing you, it's, 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 it's a highlight. So, Rochelle, you're very busy and then yet you are published three books or four books, if I'm correct, three books or four books. No, three books. I'm yes. working on the fourth at the moment. Okay, Sorry, please. I, yes. But thank you. <laughs> yeah. But I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> That's an inside job. I got it, some information somewhere. <laughs> so, like, yes, please, if you can share with us your books you, you wrote so far. Sure. Uh, I published my first book, uh, which was called In Your Face, The Life and Times of Billy Longley in 2005. Now, this is probably, talk about biting off something and chewing very hard and having no idea what I was doing. It, this is this book was my first, and it was the biography of an infamous villain and painter and docker, a man by the name of Billy the Texan Longley. So I, I published that, and um, that was with ABC Books. My yes. next book was called Inside Their Minds, which was Australian Criminals, which was published in 2008. Yes. And what I did with that book, I managed to liaise with one of Australia's best forensic psychologists, a, yes. a man by the name of Ian Joblin, and I went around Australia interviewing the families and friends of eight of Australia's most infamous criminals. And then I took those interviews back to Ian Joblin, and then we worked out what created those criminals, what made them tick. So that was my second book. And my third book was Partners in Crime, which was published in 2002, and in this book, I interviewed eight women who were married to or, I suppose, long-term girlfriends mm -hmm. of some of Australia's most infamous crooks, everyone from Chopper Reed right down My God. to, <laughs> yeah. um, right down to, say, Nick, uh, Nick, uh, 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 Nick, the Bulgarian Radic, who was one of the um, underworld um, uh, villains. Yes. Um, and... Yeah, and I'm currently working on my fourth book, which is also in the true crime genre. So, yeah, look, I've been lucky enough to 
work and, and have three books published and they've all gone very well. But it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of a lot oh, of absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it's sort of like running a marathon each time and, and the journey's different for each one. So yeah, it's very worthwhile doing, but you really have to be motivated and dedicated. You've got to virtually write every day if you're writing a book. Do you mind mind you if I ask you when you interview all these families and the girlfriends of the criminals, how did you feel when you conducted that interview? I'm not just talking about one side, like maybe you're afraid for your life, you know, they've been threatening to you or something because they accepted the interview. But how have you how did you felt as a journalist interviewing these people? Uh, I mean learning intimate side of somebody because on a court we you know we presented the facts and you know DPP, you know, the jury and everything else, but you go on the other side of the lives of the people, which we don't see on the hidden court. So how did you feel, Rochelle, on, on when you would interview all these people? The third book in particular, I really put journalistic objectivity to one yeah. side yeah. because it wasn't about having an objective um, piece of A-grade journalism. That The chapters weren't about that. The chapters for Partners in Crime were about interviewing the eight women and telling their truth. So it was mm-hmm. their side of the story, not necessarily the truth, but their truth. Yes. And in that sense, you know, I I think it's made me a better journalist having okay. to write three books yes. because I think what ends up occurring is you end up, you know, when you work as a journalist, you've got to be very black and white in what, and how you see things. Yes. And, and often... It's because of the limitation of how you're working. If you're working on a television story, even a longer form story, it might only be three to five minutes. If mm-hmm. it's a news story, it's one minute twenty. If it's a radio story, it's you know, it's even shorter than that. So, um, one of the things I think you learn very quickly is you've got to understand, you've got to use a lot of emotional intelligence, and you've got to put yourself in the other person's shoes. You don't even have to like them, but it's actually about reporting their side of the story. And, of course, I suppose with my second book, which was Inside Their Minds, I had the enormous privilege of working with one of Australia's best forensic psychologists. So what that meant was he every day literally did psychological assessments of people to find out, you know, psychologically where where they were, to understand their motivations, to understand if they'd committed a crime, to understand why, to understand their family background. And I learned an enormous amount about what makes people tick, not <coughs> yes. just criminals, but um, and, and to why people turn to crime. So, yeah, I think in that sense, it's been a huge... It's been a, a really... It's been an extensive and a, and a, and a exhaustive, you know, time. You know, if you think of writing three books... In that period, but it's extremely satisfying, and I think it does. I, I would like to think that it would make you a better journalist. You know. You know, I just, I just love how you say this is. You know, the like a second, third time, I becoming better journalist, and you know, you look into how to develop yourself even further, which is. Uh, I'm very grateful that you shared this with us. You know, with all this wealthy experience of yours, you're still looking the ways to improve yourself. To develop yourself and you know I don't hear this very often so how this lead you into the your podcast the crime couch because even I say crime couch so like I presume that everybody is just shortening up and they say 
crime couch. What would you go from the publishing books and mm. uh, talk about criminals, then yet go into into depth of the of the criminals and their minds and their activities and their modus operandi and how they ended up in the prison or they escaped? I think the crime couch for me. I'd never listened to one podcast when I started doing the wow. crime couch this year. Not yeah. one. Yes. I'd never listened to one. I knew what they were. Yeah. But um, it was just a natural fit for me. Yes. I thought about it. I thought I've got a huge, extensive range of uh, like a network of contacts right across Australia and throughout the yeah. world that I can call on. I've got a real purpose, and I yes. wanted to. I suppose. I've got the networks, so I had the access to the stories and I didn't even know, Mario, how yes. to use the digital recorder, <laughs> which I purchased. I didn't know how to show you. You're very, you're very honest, Rochelle. Like, I'm, I'm just blown away, you know. You don't hide your uh, disadvantages or your not understanding technology or, you know, all of this. Like, you know, people don't say this, Rochelle. You know what I mean? And you are yet, you know publicly say these things that makes you the hero in my eyes so yes please i'm sorry please continue no, honestly <laughs> well, I can just say, that's very yeah. nice but yeah. I, you know I, I just think it's it's frank and you've just got to be honest and and at the end of the day what it shows me is yeah. look i've done a lot of television i've done a lot of radio i still do radio but for me the podcast medium to be honest it's actually like a longer form interview and yeah. i have the absolute privilege I'm an old-fashioned journalist. I don't yes. do any, no offence, but I don't do any interviews on the phone or on Teams or Zoom. Yes. I go to someone's place. I sit with them. I literally sit in their office or on their couch or in their second bedroom and I do an interview with okay. them. Okay, so <laughs> yes. I, and, and that's what I do. I mean, um, I learnt, um, I found a graphic designer mate of mine who did the original graphic logo. Yes. I found the signature tune which I paid for the rights to use in the weekly podcast. And um, I learned how to use the equipment. And then I had to find an editor. And so I just put out a request through a couple of mates. And I found a a guy that I used to work with on ABC Radio. His name's Pete Dillon, and he's fabulous. And so I worked with Pete, and he's my editor. And uh, I produce, and I research, and I do the interviews each week, and write the notes, and write the... The questions, and yes. then um, Pete does the editing, and I post the crime <laughs> couch every Thursday evening. And I then, it's it's really, uh, I suppose it's like a, it's a chance for um, people to discuss their stories, you know. Yes. And it's and it's it's really a casual yet intimate chat on the couch with cops, veteran cops, and current cops, the yes. occasional villain. And interesting individuals that sit in between crime and policing. So when you sit on the crime couch, it's a chance to talk and reflect about the previous cases that you might have worked on, yes. your experience, and reminisce about all the great guns that cops generally had. It's interesting, you know. I remember, I remember as a kid, and even my young age, you know, we never learned in school much about Australia except there's a kangaroos, there's a desert, and that's it. And when I arrived in Australia in '98. I was looking to watch this show Blue Healers, oh, and, yes. pe- and people look at me like, "Why would you do this?" You know, so like because in the Croatian embassy we have the staff from Australian Australian citizens who work in in as a support staff, and everybody says to me, "Why would you watch this?" I said, "Like this is the real corpse and everything else," and everybody look at me like, <laughs> "He said what?" I said, "It's a drama." Yeah, like I said, like 
isn't the police force here like this? So everybody was in shock with me when I say that. It's like, it's a different... That's what? like saying neighbours, Mario, is exactly like Australian society. <laughs> because what I, tried to, what, I, what I tried to say, it highlights why the crime couch, I'm advising everybody, the crime couch should be visited and listening. Because uh, Wall doesn't know enough about Australia, or shall I be in, in, in honest with you? Because... When I come to Australia, we know very little about Australia. And, you know, there's so yeah. much wealth of this country and culture and everything else. But particularly as well, that Australian police dealing with a different type of, of the criminals. And because this is such a large island, you can hide, you can escape. So it's a different modus of, of operandi of investigating things than in Europe, you know, with the cross countries and you can hide in, you know, in other countries and everything else. But the bottom line is this, Australia has so much to offer particularly to your books and your podcast, The Crime Couch, with Rochelle Jackson. So, Rochelle, before we end up this interview, how the people can find you, how they can buy your books, and how they can listen to your awesome podcast, The Crime Couch, with Rochelle Jackson. Yeah, thank you, Mario. Look, you can get my podcast, The Crime Couch, where you normally get your podcast. So that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and I also use the Podbean platform. So yes. that's where people can subscribe. It doesn't cost them any money. They just generally have to put in an email address and they can they can uh, hear it every Thursday. Um, yes. I publish my podcast every Thursday night and I post on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. And generally I, I use a photograph of the, of the person, the interview talent, and a podcast link. Mm. So that's really the best way. I've got a... Um, I've got a website, www.rochellejackson.com.au, and people can find me on that. Yes. Uh, and with the books, probably, look, the hard thing is for my first book, In Your Face, it's now out of print, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think uh, you can still get copies of the book uh, on um, eBay, <laughs> yes. apparently. But the other two books are Inside Their Minds, which is a, a, with Alan and Unwin, and also Partners in Crime, which was also published with Alan and Unwin. And you can virtually get that those two books still yes. on Alan and Unwin's websites. Ah, okay. Well, thank you, Rochelle. I just want to say I'm the privileged one who is really, really uh, happy that... And, and not just privileged, having somebody of your profile, your calibre, be interviewed by me and you know I, I must say I'm a little bit ashamed because you know as I want to ask the questions I'm thinking twice it's like what might be careful what you're saying what you're asking because you really know the answer of everything <laughs> so like I want to say thank you Rochelle for being our guest today um, on our live 90.5 business insights with Marion and Matt feel free to come on our website alive 905comau tonight after 6 p.m. there's a podcast recorder this interview with Rochelle Jackson and as well Listen to the end. There's a deep contact details for Rochelle on www.rochellejackson.com.au and you can stay in touch with her, request a copy of the books or enjoy her podcast. Rochelle, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Mario. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for giving me the space to sit on your <laughs> Thank you. Now, looking forward to meeting you in person. Ladies and gentlemen, Rochelle Jackson from Melbourne and uh, stay in touch.